And I'm going to get this recording started. Um, and then we are going to check out uh, a recent performance here by the uh, 78th Frasers from Ontario, of course. And they did really well over the weekend. And we have Robbie Beaton here to have a little chat with, it about the, with us about it. So here we go. All right, the microphone is now unmuted. That is Robbie Beaton there, everyone, Pipe Sergeant of 78th Frasers. And uh, I'm going to be tying a bag on in the background as we do this. But uh, Robbie, why don't we just listen through the performance the first time? Um, and then you can give us your overall impressions and how things went, and we'll try and uh, help people out. So yeah, you're just going to control this screen. OK. Yeah, there you go. Sweet. All righty. And you can put, pop those headphones on uh, if you want to hear better.
All right. Oh. Are we back on? We are back on. Cool. So uh, we're hanging here with Robbie Beaton, who's pipe sergeant of this very band, the 78th Frasers. And uh, I just kind of thought, I'm here uh, helping him get a bag tied on here. So I just kind of thought that maybe we could chat a little bit about that performance. And uh, obviously it went pretty well. I think you were straight firsts. Yep, straight firsts. Uh, in that, which is kind of like probably a little bit rare in the Ontario scene because there's a lot of other like you know really pretty well-known bands going on there it's pretty rare to get a unanimous decision like that so you know what do you think uh, what you know what do you think went so well like what are you guys doing really well at the moment you know what happened in that performance to make it such a success and then maybe later we can get into things that you might still want to improve on uh, I think a couple things which we've been working on throughout this year has been uh, the warm-up and the, pa the previous contests have been extremely warm over 90 degrees and very dry which everybody knows makes setting pipes and pipe bands really difficult um, so this past weekend in Concarden uh, the location and venues right on the water it was you could see by the recording there was some good shade so we had some moisture in the air, it was cooler, um, all those things, um, and a really good tune-up um, that for us we found um, was shorter, um, which is obviously what we're going to have to do come Scotland time when it's cooler temperature and damp, so it was good practice for us doing that as well. Um, and then I think just the usual stuff, I thought the sound was good and held throughout. Uh, I thought the playing was tidy and in the biggest thing that we talk about is continuously um, progressing throughout each contest and since the start of the year um, we've done that so from all those aspects we're very happy. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So like you mentioned a couple things which I think to guys like you and me seems pretty obvious like oh like when it's hot it's really hard to get a good sound and uh, you know a little shade is good. Like. Um, I'm just picturing a lot of people that are going to be viewing this content later, you know, and when we talk about the warm-up, like, what are these key elements that we're really looking for, and, like, why is shade better than sun, and why is it, like, can you go a little bit more in-depth into that, like, why is it that Scotland is such a more dangerous place uh, to tune up, and, um, you know, just give us some, give us some of the info there, you know, without yep. giving away the... Uh, you don't have to give away the secret sauce or anything. Right. So um, <laughs> with it being really hot and dry in Ontario, um, play sheepskin bags and cane drone reeds, the stability is always an issue because the bags need moisture, the drone reeds need moisture in order to be stable, and obviously so do the channel reeds. So when there's no moisture, when there's no humidity or moisture in the air and you're playing out in the sun, the pipes never quite stabilize and when you do that on your own that's a problem in itself but when you've got 20 plus guys that you've got to keep track of um, everybody knows that when you know you're going and playing a solo contest you try and tune up in the same location as where you're going to play in terms of sun versus sun or shade versus shade and it becomes increasingly difficult when you add more bagpipes into the mix and you're trying to manage all these different variables and so um, you know compared to Scotland where humidity is 
high temperature is cooler, um, the bagpipes are going to be more stable um, from the get-go. You don't have to play them quite as much as you do over here, but the problem over there is sometimes too much moisture, um, which can cause havoc on the pipes in that way, which is something that we've, as a band, have had to deal with um, learning the correct way to deal with and as the years go on. Um, it's a big transition going from the weather over here to over there and so that's kind of one of the big aspects that led to a good performance this past weekend. Yeah for sure I mean that makes a lot of sense I think that you know um, it's just such a uh, it's such an interesting thing one of the things you mentioned to me and I don't know if you've already mentioned it here on this uh, particular live cast but you mentioned that you really ha didn't have to do much playing on the actual day right which is such a valuable thing that comes from a lot of preparation leading up right like you you guys have tuned the instruments pretty much the exact same way with the exact same method you know how many times you know leading up to the day which allows you to not have to do that and I think one of the things about Scotland too is that uh, a lot not, you know, not a crazy amount, but enough with the instrument is going to change due to like the different, uh, uh, you know, the different spot on the globe, the different conditions, you know, maybe slightly different altitude, maybe, I don't know, but like yep. all these different things. And you get off the plane and the bagpipe isn't quite right, is it? Like it changes and then you have to adapt, you have to make those changes and then you have to somehow get into that routine within a few days such that you can show up to the worlds and not have to do a lot of playing because as you were just pointing out uh, you know you can't play that much without moisture becoming a major factor and like that's the real name of the game for you guys as you prepare the bagpipe you know the bagpipes themselves for the Scotland trip right that's right and it's a quick turnaround you know we find every year the same things every year in terms of uh, how hot it is in Ontario and then you know we play we've got one more contest next weekend and then Maxville. Maxville's traditionally really hot and then three days later uh, we fly to Scotland and have to play the following weekend uh, in North Berwick so realistically we go from uh, 85 degrees plus at Maxville to having to adjust our tune up slightly and get the bagpipes acclimated to Scottish weather by the following Saturday and make sure that they're up to standard and going to set us up the way we want for the world's the following week. Right, that's the tricky bit, right, is you don't just have to get the pipes ready. Like, that is by far the most difficult contest of the year so far because yep. you're up against bands like Shots. Right. And Inverary. Field Marshal won't go to that, but uh, you're up against quite a few of like the actual contenders to win the worlds and obviously you guys want to be in that position too right so it's like yeah you've got to switch gears fast and make that happen and I think that's kind of interesting yep. I think the biggest thing which everybody knows about is um, attention to individual bagpipes those two days after we get to Scotland um, there's a ton of time spent a lot of time those first two days making sure that individual bagpipes are set up uh, correctly and efficiently and they would be done the same way that you guys who are tuning in um, have been it's been talked about on here before the proper way to set up an efficient bagpipe that's 100 percent 
airtight and is going to tune the way and react the way we want. So things like that really never change, but it's just for us and you know what we're going for are paramount uh, once we get over there. Awesome. Um, we don't have any questions so far, but I was kind of thinking, Robbie, maybe we could you know, go through the recording again now. Yep. Uh, and maybe you could just give us some commentary maybe on some of the stuff that you would like to see be improved. Um, I know between you and Doug, you probably have a laundry list at this point. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, Absolutely. again, again, I don't want you to give away the farm, but, uh, you know, got to leave, give us a little bit of suspense. Yes. But, uh, you know, wh where are some of the spots that you think can be uh, improved? I'm actually pretty interested here and... Um, no problem. Yeah, you just want to make sure that if you're going to talk at the same time as the audio, mm -hmm. you can see the two different levels down there. You just want to make sure that your microphone is like equal, if not a little bit higher than the desktop audio, because otherwise people wouldn't be able to hear it. Okay. But uh, but you might be pausing and then making comments anyway. True. But just you know, just okay. keep an eye on that little metric there. All right. And we'll go forward. I will start this over again. The intro was good, well-blown E. The only thing that I hear right off the bat was the pipe section very, very slightly early to the first beat of Balmoral Highlanders, which could be a recording thing because I didn't hear it out there, but it's coming across in the recording, so... third part and fourth part so that everyone can listen. I'll pay attention to both of these. that for one second um, personally listening to that recording many times and while I was out there and um, came across on the sheets and they're 100% accurate round playing by the pipe section in parts three and four and it really just comes down to untidy fundamentals uh, the third part there's a sequence of Torlua's on low A and then GDEs on low G, um, that kind of question and answer uh, each other, even though the notes are different. Um, I felt out there and listening back to the recording that we were early and not waiting for the Torluas the way we were for the GDEs. 
so it kind of gave this round impression that hurt the ensemble a little bit compared to the rest of the tune. And then in the fourth part, um, I thought we collected ourselves on the pickup notes, but then we have a, uh, a G grace note to B grip, hot and da-da-da. That happens a couple times throughout that part, um, and I thought the same thing. I thought that we rushed those and we're not dialed in with the drum core. Um, and that's, uh, it's, uh, you could call it adrenaline, nerves, whatever you want to call it, but you can hear, if you really listen, that, that they were early and kind of made both of these parts sound a little bit round compared to um, the first two parts and how we finished the tune. Um, so I will press play and let it continue. drums were very good throughout, I thought um, sound and blowing were very good throughout, and that can be a combination of just everything that we talked about earlier. listen to the Torlua's and the Strispe, they're significantly better than the third part of the march. Just waiting for that first beat. A little sloppy on the runs going up in that part. Alright, in this part coming up, listen to beat three. Beat three in the first two or three bars, in my opinion, was rushed compared to everything else in the parts previous. Which, again, gives it that round not tidy enough feel. Good break and nice control so far. pushy in those last two bars. Same here, just a little bit too round, not waiting for upbeats enough. 
sweet. I guess the only other thing I could say was I felt the last two bars of the reel could have had a little bit more composure. It, ki it kind of, t at least to me, uh, listening back to that, it didn't feel that way out there, but it felt like the last two bars were almost as if everyone had the feeling of, thank God, we're almost done, you lost the phrasing a little bit, but that's super super picky. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like, you know, it's one of the things I've trained myself to do, which is it's not so much I'm pretending there's more because that could be risky too because yep. you don't want to blow the cutoff, but like I really try to train myself to find absolutely nothing interesting or special at all about those last couple bars and to just play them and then when I get to the end, I just stop my pipes. Yep. I, I feel like, um, you know, even in the very top level bands, you know, uh, people have the wrong mental approach to the end of a set, right? Like, oh my God, here comes the end, here comes the end, oh my God, yep. here we go. And then uh, then you end up in trouble, don't you? Like, um, for sure, I definitely noticed that. Yeah, I and knows what you're it's uh, something that we work on quite a bit and it's improved a ton. So in that respect, uh, um, you know, personally are happy, but you can hear it on the recording that that extra little bit of focus until the very end will just make it sound so much more complete. Absolutely. So uh, a person named Jesse Short is commenting in, saying, um, so 78th is a grade one pipe band. What is the build of the individual players at, you know, if you compare it to like a solo level? Are there a lot of grade two or three pipers solo, or is almost everyone grade one or so at an individual level? Very common question. Very right? good question. Like, do you have to be a grade one soloist to play in a grade one band? No, you don't, but you have to have, in, well, you don't, in our band, it's all grade one or professional players, but if someone came to me and said, hey, I think I can do this, and you've got the proper fundamentals and are willing to learn and can progress from that point of view, you certainly could play if you're the right kind of player that has the, the proper attitude about it. And the two, the two things like solo grades and band grades, they're not really equivalents, right? No. Like they don't really relate to each other, although, you know, if you're going to be in a grade one band, you know, it's pretty rare at this point to be in a successful grade one band and not have vast, vast majority grade one and open players. Yes. But for example, there's grade, uh, grade two pipe bands is maybe a better example where you can have professional grade one, grade two, grade three, like good yep. grade four players even in a grade two band. Um, and that would probably be fairly common. Um, like, you know, if they were to go up and play in the solos, like they could be graded anywhere. Absolutely. Um, yep. So it's a different kind of ball game. And, um, you know, I think you know, where I'd like to segue this question to as well is, you know, so you guys are obviously a very competitive grade one band, but are there any sort of universal things that, uh, you know, people at beginner and intermediate levels can take away from, you know, uh, what you guys are doing? Like, for example, uh, you, you mentioned individual preparedness. Um, you know, isn't that a universal thing that everybody can learn from and... You know, uh, if if anything, one of the things that makes grade one band successful, in my opinion, and I'm sure you'll agree, is just that, you know, is just the degree to which individuals are taking care of their instrument and developing and working on their own playing as well. Yes. Um, 
preparedness and preparedness and I'm lost my train of thought um, but we, I keep coming back to fundamentals like if you've got good fundamentals in terms of technique you've got good fundamentals in terms of bagpipe maintenance understanding um, how to set up your instrument properly you're going to be ahead of the game down the road because I mean for me uh, you know, I learned and I'm still learning, but it's passing that on to the other guys so that they can, can they have that same kind of attitude about everything. I mean, uh, we spend a lot of time on instruments and how to set them up properly, but it's not the type of situation where we take their bagpipes and do the, do it for them. We show them how to do it so they can do it themselves. They know how to properly do it. Um, and then individual technique. I mean, we ask guys to send recordings all the time. Um, we ask guys to practice individual technique like Torlos, just like many of you need to do at home, I need to do at home. Um, so there's a lot of similar characteristics, even though, yes, this is grade one, that you can take away to other grade bands? Even in grade one, I think that one of the thing, things that separates the men from the boys, for lack of a better expression, is that some bands are working harder than others, but not yeah. like not like at the practice hall. No. Like, you know, some bands maybe spend less time at the practice hall, but individuals are figuring it out and getting everything right, yep. you know, better than other bands. Like, you know, when I think about Field Marshal Montgomery, for example, that springs to mind instantly, which right. is player for player, those guys are working hard and really, really focused on individual excellence. Yes. Um, and I think that's the name of the game. A lot of people, when you go around the games, you know, like take a grade three band or something, and they're getting third in grade three and they're moping, but the answer is right in front of them, which is you just have to work harder. Individuals have to do more to get better, right? Like, for, like, to me, that's clear as day. Well, and that's one of the biggest things that, yeah, you. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's one of the biggest things that we focused on. Uh, we came back from Scotland last year, personally, and had, we played well, um, didn't qualify, came back and kind of had a uh, renewed commitment to individual effort. Um, we practice a lot, but there's been a renewed effort to do more one-on-ones, um, send more recordings, uh, take more pride in your instrument, um, and it's from my point of view and uh, the product that we're putting out there, it's coming across um, in a positive way and uh, significantly better um, thus far. So individual assessment and practice is paramount no matter what grade. Cool. Let's see if we have any more questions. Gord says, perhaps this was already asked, uh, what's the band setup currently used? You don't have to answer that question. You're not under oath. No, uh, that's a good question. Um, there's another questions. Uh, there's a couple other questions coming after that. Sweet. Thanks for questioning, guys. Like, yeah, ask away. We're, we're here to interact, so thanks very much. Yep. Uh, to answer your question, Gord, we are playing Sheepskin 
and Kane Drone Reads, and we're playing uh, the G1 Higher Pitched Channer. Um, found that the sheepskin tonally um, gives us what we're looking for, and uh, f fairly recently switch switched to Kane Drone Reads, um, which is completely um, changed our sound in a positive way. So, I mean, uh, with the cane dronery, it's like, uh, you know, it's one of those, I feel like it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, but mm -hmm. like, why? Aren't cane drones, I'm being, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm, yes. play, I'm playing cane drones right now also, but uh, isn't that more hassle than it's worth? Like, are you crazy? Why do you do that when there's so many other, like, drone that are much easier to use. Well, and that's been the issue for us for years is, um, you know, we can, we would get the drones in tune, but they didn't have that sparkle, I guess is the kind of the, the word that I hear, that I've heard fairly recently. Or like warmth. Warmth, the harmonics that, um, you know, bands like, uh, Field Marshal, Inverary, and St. Lawrence O'Toole get. And for what we are trying to do, we want to go over and be competitive and push those top bands and thus push ourselves um, to make that top six list. And the way that we have found to do that is through this setup. And yeah, they're, they can be a hassle, but that's they're going to be a hassle if they're not set up properly or managed correctly, right. which has been a learning experience for, for us in a great way because um, we spent a lot, of, a lot of time setting them up correctly. We didn't rush anything, and then um, they've performed for us regardless of the weather very well, and I believe they'll continue to do so um, so long as we stick to our game plan and manage them properly for the remaining contests in and in Scotland, most importantly. Here's one of the things like here's one of the things I I sort of have thought to myself a couple times, which is if you really sit down and think about it, uh, and it's it's uh, you know at the grade one level, right? You know where where you're talking about the very best pipe bands in the world. Um, the cane drone reads might be a hassle sometimes, but synthetic drone reads at the end of the day are guaranteed to become a hassle at a certain point. There's no like, there's no getting around it. It's just basic science. As soon as moisture starts condensing uh, in your instrument, synthetic reeds are no longer useful and you're no longer gonna be able to get them in tune. Well, that's just it. And, and then meanwhile, if you can get cane zoned in and manage it correctly, it can, it can be magic. Yeah, it might be a hassle. If, if, especially if things aren't set up right, it can definitely be a negative thing, but it might also be, you know, it, it, you know, if you do it right, it's going to be magic. Right, and the combination of setting them up correctly, and this is the next biggest point for me, causing everyone else to focus again. Coming back to this, focus individually on playing their instruments at home to make sure that they maintain their proper setup and stability will create magic that. Um, synthetic reeds will ultimately, like you said, eventually just deteriorate in some way or form, which is what's happened to us and many other bands, I'm sure, that have played them. So, 
Yeah, for sure. All right, next question. Uh, Billy says, or sorry, no, uh, John McCain, are the recordings mandatory? How many times during the week are you in contact with other pipers? Re recordings are mandatory in terms of, so we've got a couple long distance guys um, that send them once a week and then everyone else either meets up with myself or Doug and does a one-on-one -on -one every other week or they send recordings every other week and they attend band practice and it's just something that we started in the fall and have had great luck with and um, have continued because it makes I wouldn't say people hide because you want to give people the benefit of the doubt but at the same time it allows us to and them because we will listen to them together uh, be critical of their recordings and we can go through them together and everybody does it I do it um, Doug does it there's no exceptions um, so leading by example yes everyone is required to do it and uh, it just depends whether you're there every week or if you're you can, how often you can be there so good question really good question and I think that you know it all depends on the player one of the things that maybe most people don't realize about uh, your band and a lot a lot of grade one bands is you know what percentage of people in the band are actually coming to practice on a regular basis yeah well we have uh, like for example right now we're having this conversation in Albany New York which is where we both live um, and you don't actually live all that close to the band right no so I travel um, once a month to band in Toronto which is about six hours and we have practice once a month Friday night Saturday all day and Sunday on the other Sundays um, throughout the month the regular guys will have band for three or four hours um, and then as the season approaches you know we'll add extra practices for example every on because we've got uh, the majority of our band is in town and attendance is really good uh, but we've got five guys that um, are out we call out of towners so we have these two days and then we'll have band Sunday like I said and then as the season approaches um, the Friday night before a contest we'll have band we'll play Saturday and then we'll also have band on Sunday um, and what that just maximizes our time together um, and we are at a disadvantage I would say compared to the bands we are we want to you know be in contention with as they live so much closer and can practice twice a week which is part of the reason why we've opted to go with mandatory recordings because the other bands in Scotland or Ireland can meet so regularly and do so much more than we can in that respect. Yeah, they have out-of-towners too, I think. Yep. For example, I'm an out-of-towner with Inverian District, and um, so it's a, little, it's a little bit crazy, but it's, it's sort of a different thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, it's, it's sort of a different thing just because the core of the group is, like, definitely, you know, able to practice more often, I think. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, we also have... Um, Next up, oh wow, look at all these questions. 
Billy says, I'm a student piper and wondering the best way to ease into the pipes. Uh, ooh, this is a big question. I find myself able to play tunes, but as I get towards the end of a tune or playing a higher note, my chanter gives out. Why is that? Is it my read? Is it that I don't have the lung capacity or just need to fix my mechanics? It's kind of a good question. It's a really good question. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, I think even though that, you know, it seems like that's a beginner question, it's also like, it, it goes all the way to the top, doesn't it? Like, yes. Um, and I think the bottom line, is, for me, is going to be mechanics. But yep. No, oh, me too. Making sure that your uh, instrument is set up 100% efficiently for you. Um, and and then at that point, I would go to, if everything's set up properly, like your drone reads are taking the proper amount of air, they've been calibrated properly, uh, your bag is 100% airtight, your channel read um, isn't too hard for you, um, and your instructor has made sure of all of these other things, then I would look to uh, personal mechanics and making sure that, um, you know, the way that you're playing in terms of the blowing to squeezing ratio um, is the proper amount and you're not blowing too much or vice versa. But I would look at your, um, first things first, I would look at the mechanics of the instrument and then move on to um, what you might be doing when you're playing the instrument. Yeah, what you're describing to me is a very common phenomenon as well, which is, um, when you use the left hand, okay, otherwise known as the high notes as you described, especially for beginners who aren't used to things yet, when you use the left hand, you have a tendency to lose control over the squeezing aspect of keeping the pipes going. And, you know, th that has given rise to the myth that certain notes take more air than other notes, but it's all psychological and it's gonna take practice on the mechanics mm -hmm. of steady blowing because uh, there's something going on in your brain and, and it's not just you it's like tons and tons of beginners which is whenever we get up onto the left hand we lose that air support because the squeezing arm you know stops behaving the way that we want it to so that's the sort of thing that we're gonna have to iron out in order for you uh, to become a better player and you just start start simple play simple tunes or simple uh, exercises very slowly that go from hand from you know, from the bottom hand and work its way up to the left hand, and we need to try to practice out, you know, these issues that are arising. I think, you know. Yep. So, Billy, I hope that helps. Let me know if you have any follow-up questions. Uh, Robbie's stuck here until I'm done tying in his bag, so yeah, he can't go anywhere. I mean, I'm waiting. Keep him coming. This is uh, good. <laughs> James says, "How much time do you tune up as a band before you go onto the line, uh, before going into the circle?" Like. Can you walk us through, you know, more or less the exact timings of what happened at this particular contest? Yeah, uh, we tend to, let's see, we tend to get together um, as a pipe section about, not to give away a couple things because I'm getting a lot of questions actually on my own about what we do. Um, but we get together about an hour and 20 minutes or so before we play. Um, we put a little bit of air through the pipes just to give them some initial moisture. And then at this one, we got together 
I believe it was 35 minutes technically before we were set to compete. Um, in this instance, all we did was we played in the shade because that's where we were competing. Um, put some air through the pipes until they were stable. Um, in this case, I can't remember, I believe it was it was really quick. It was probably between seven and ten minutes. The pipes get stable fast in that environment. Yeah, it was really quick. And at that point, um, like I said earlier, there really wasn't much to do in terms of fine-tuning. Why not? Why wasn't there much to do? Because we had done so much preparation leading up to this um, in terms of just fine-tuning the instruments. Like I said, uh, two weeks before this, uh, we played a contest called Coburg. We had band Friday night, competed Saturday, had band on Sunday. Uh, I did some one-on-ones throughout the next week. There was band on Sunday, and then the Friday night before this contest, we had band practice, and then we competed again, so we met a lot. Um, and so, yeah, through preparation, there really wasn't much to do at all. We let the pipes stabilize, um, and then at that point, it was just brief playing until we competed, maintaining um, you know, the sound at which the pipes stabilized. And I would say, personally, I, ch you know, I check all the channers for the most part that I know need to be checked. Not ch and I would say I p probably played a grand total before, um, before we competed about 15 to 17 or 18 minutes, which was, I mean, ballpark. But, I, you know, it was not a lot. Yeah, to clarify, the tune-up might have taken 90 minutes. Right. But the actual playtime on the instruments is very minimal. Yes. Having to do with really good preparation before the event, right? Right. You know, and like we talked about earlier, all the weather conditions and everything led and preparation led up to this point. You know, if, you, if we hadn't put in the time or the weather was poor, there's always going to be more work to do. And... I'm sure everyone will agree that that leads to uneasiness or um, nerve. It, it it will not help the nerves, and that's one of the biggest <laughs> takeaways. It totally is like, right. Like I, I just um, you know, especially now that I'm not tuning a group anymore and I'm playing an inverary, like it's almost like you can get into a sort of zone you, you have to still be aware because you have to try and perform well but like it's almost like almost like boredom almost Ex oh yeah except for that you're so excited but like you stand around and you just kind of wait you know for the all the pipes to settle and um and, and nothing is frantic and and then you know you can almost <laughs> i say almost because you know you're always going to get that adrenaline rush but you can almost get to the line in a sort of peaceful sense, right? And that's what that's what paves the way for good performances. That's exactly right. Good question. Yeah, great question. Vince Janowski, do you think the recording critiques and one-on-ones make a big difference when you consider, quote, what it takes for a band, say, in grade three or two, to progress to the next level? In other words, how often do you think grade three and two bands do this that you know about? And maybe we should also add how much they should do it. Yeah, I don't think they 
from the groups I have worked with over the p in the past, I don't think they do it enough. Because uh, you know, I see and. You can tell because, you know, I'll go to the games and kind of just walk around while I kill time because we always play so late and you just see panic, I guess, not or uneasiness. And it's always like, you know, you, you, f you f look at what time it is and you kind of just, you know, you have a mental map of how the days and different grades are progressing and you quickly realize that many bands play so much on the day because they are frantic and trying to get a good sound that could be um, they could get through better preparation and then you can just hear it through I hear it through the recordings um, the one-on-ones just make people more confident when they go out there and so if you those two things if you are not prepared enough individually and as a band and you're worrying about maybe your own issues, um, you're not going to have a confident run. So I think more more recordings and one-on-ones, regardless of the grade, will help a lot. I think you can step back and look at how most, not all, but most grade three and two bands are comprised of vast majority local players. Yes. So, but what happens is you, you end up getting flipped, where you end up coming to band practice once or twice a week even for some motivated bands, but all they do is sort of stand around in a circle and like keep playing their bagpipes over and over again, where what they really should do is break things down and work with individuals on what the individuals need work on. Like I think that's the number one thing bands don't do. So for some bands, and you can tell me if you agree, Robbie, but recordings probably aren't necessary because you're able to get together so frequently. Absolutely. But one-on-one -on -one work with individuals is severely lacking in these bands where if they did more of that, um, whether it be with the pipe major or whoever the experts are in the band, or getting outside help to work with individuals, yep. that's the name of the game. Yep, and to piggyback off of that, um, because it's all, I couldn't agree more, um, to piggyback off of that, it's got to be one-on-ones and really there's there needs to be more focused work I know a lot of groups in even in grade two and below that get together and they're at band and they play through the stuff 20 times expecting it to get better right. and it doesn't because they're not focusing on the right things they're so yeah or, or anything or anything right they're yeah. just it's really just kind of going through the motions to say, yeah, I went to band instead of practice. If you you know practicing that stuff that needs to be uh, touched on. Absolutely. Uh, are the recordings submitted on bagpipes or a practice channel? Well, early in the year for us, it's on practice channel, um, just because of new music. Um, again, individual technique. You, I know, you know, we go around and we know what everyone needs to work on. But by about January, it's all bagpipes. That's right. All bagpipes. That makes a lot of sense to me. So, uh, next question. So, back to, Billy had a follow-up question here. Uh, and by the way, all these questions are good. This is a beginner question, but um, we're stoked to have Robbie here to answer it. So, uh, he finds it easier to wet his reed with warm water 
but find it has deteriorated my read at a more rapid rate. Uh, something granted there's also a little chip on each side. Could that be the cause of it giving out? So first of all, do you wet your read with warm water? I do not. No, me either. Like um, I sometimes when it's you know uh, when I'm playing at my house with air conditioning, I'll give it a little bit of a lick to maybe just get some moisture in the reed. But even that, like uh, on performance day, uh, where things really count, I don't do that. And instead, I let the bag pipe really uh, soak things in and acclimatize, because the water can just be too much of a shock to the reed, right? That's exactly right. And it, and it can just like, uh, and it can cause deterioration for sure. Now granted, Billy, you gotta get a reed with no chips in it, for yes. sure. And uh, if you want to moisten the reed a little bit with your tongue, that's fine. But the bottom line is, you can't blame the reed on the need to uh, develop that blowing technique, right? Yeah, and I find what I do occasionally, um, like Andrew said, if I'm playing in air conditioning, um, which I tell all the guys in the band to avoid doing this at all costs because it dries the pipes out. But that's like that's a super, um, like a super anal picky thing. But if during the winter time, for example, it's really dry up in Canada, what I'll have the guys do is blow through their reed so it sounds the high A. And what I found is it avoids licking it, which will a very eventually deteriorate it but it also gets the blades vibrating and warming up a little bit which is also what we want so like Andrew said um, the other the next biggest thing is really getting a reed that's not chipped that will be efficient yeah, finding a good reed yeah. for sure and because uh, the chips yeah the chip can definitely cause the reed to not sound good and uh, obviously, if we're going to be doing all this work, we want to sound good. Right. But the bottom line is, we've got to uh, we've got to analyze what's happening to us as we get onto that left hand that's causing us to sort of give out. And it takes, guess what? Like you know what the bottom line is at the end of the day, you just have to do it for like a thousand hours. Yep. <laughs> By the time you've done it a thousand hours, even if you don't even really know what you're doing at first very much, like that's the name of the game is uh, just doing a lot of it. I think sometimes we practice for like 20, 30, even an hour a day and we want to we want to be good, you know, by the end of the week. And that's just not real. It's just going to take lots and lots of time and patience. Yep. Maybe a, a little bit more patience than we'd like to offer. Um, it's, it's the same is true for my golf game. So, I know how much it hurts to suck even when you yeah. <laughs> suck is not the right word to use. Uh, certainly not very politically correct, but I know what it feels like to not be good, even though you feel like you put lots of time in and you should be good. It's just one of those things that's going to take time. And, yes. Uh, good. So, uh, Bill, Billy, I hope that uh, helps out. Uh, let's give 30 more seconds for any more questions, but then we'll venture towards uh, wrapping this thing up. So, uh, guys, let me know if you have any further questions. Thanks very much for tuning in. And... Um, We'll give it just a couple of seconds. So Robbie, when we're done, you just press the stop streaming button mm -hmm. and the stop recording button. Yep. Um, I think we're good. Okay. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you soon on another live stream. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the live feed if that's an option for you. And we'll see you again soon. Cool guys, thank you. See you, bye for now. Bye.